long overdue trip, and I hope they're enjoying themselves there as we are here. And in lieu of uh, Pastor Demi being here, we have uh, Eduardo Rosa to uh, come and share with us a word of, from uh, God. But uh, first of all, I have a few announcements, and then we'll get into worshiping through song. Uh, one of those announcements I just made is that the pastor and his family will be coming back here this week very shortly. But I did want to mention a couple of things. One is that there is a men's Bible study starting up via Zoom on Saturday mornings. And it necessitates you being familiar with the book of Philippians, which I'm holding up. We'll be doing this book for the next several weeks. And if you are here today and want to be a part of that, you need to see Eric Page or Jeff Remmer, both of whom are here this morning. Uh, if you're not sure who they are, uh, ask me and I'll point them out to you. But Eric's up by the front door. Uh, we'll be uh, sending out an email this week on how you can be involved in this, how you can uh, track along with this book, uh, the study of the book of Philippians. Also, today was the kickoff of the adult Bible study downstairs in the fellowship hall at 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, we're studying the book of Genesis, and uh, we spent the entire hour on, on verse 1 of chapter 1. And so... Uh, it's going to be an interesting study. We're being very uh, conscientious of the Word of God and taking our time and not rushing through it. The study is designed that you can join any time, but let me encourage you to come at 9 o'clock Sunday morning and be inspired by a study on the book of Genesis. Really an incredible book, and there's a lot of different opinions. There's a secular worldview, and there's a Christian worldview. There's a lot of discussion about creationism and evolution and you really need to be a, a part of that so you can be uh, apologetic uh, in your speech when talking to people that aren't sure how creation all came about. So let me just say welcome again. One other brief item, if any of you are interested in pursuing what I call spiritual gifts, I have a gift for you, and that will help you discern what your spiritual gifts might be. And so if you're interested in that, see me as well. So. Great to see all of you this morning. Edlon, you're on. All right. Sounds good. Church, let's stand and worship. Um, and as we, uh, as we walk into this time of worship, our call to worship today um, to, is a, it's on Psalms 96, verses 1 through 3. This is just a time for us to really reflect on God's word as we worship as a church, as a body. And his word says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all the peoples. Amen. Let's do just that this morning. Bless. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name, and sing like never before, O oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Sing the sun.
Father, we, we thank you, Father, for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us as a body, as a church, to come and worship you. Lord, as a body, help us, Lord, to, to fix our eyes on you, Lord. And as a church, be able to, um, to stand underneath, Lord, your truth, your word, firm, understanding the gospel, understanding um, our relationship with you, Father. May you do just that, Lord, in our lives, individually and as a church. Lead us now in your word, Father. I ask you this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you may be seated. I'd like to introduce uh, our morning prayer by mentioning a couple of things. First of all, we just sang, Speak, O Lord. And in that song, uh, our lips said, let our faith rise, let our eyes to see. Uh, there are things going on in the world that require a lot of faith. Um, one in particular I wanted to bring to your attention is uh, we as a church have agreed to support a missionary, Ina York, uh, in the Dominican Republic. There's a lot of dynamics going on right as I stand here and as you sit there. I want to pray specifically for her ministry today. Um, just a lot to leave in the hands of a high and holy God to resolve. And um, also, we talk about COVID. Uh, it hit pretty home this past uh, week or two. Uh, many of you know Art Pierce. Art came back from Florida, got a negative test. Or I guess a positive test. I'm not sure which. Okay, positive if he got it. Well, he got it, and so he's sequestered at home, um, and just need. He's getting better. I talked to him yesterday, but COVID sometimes is sort of something that's out there until it hits somebody close to home, and so we got to realize there. We live in an imperfect world, but we have a perfect God. So let's go to Lord the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, we pause right now to acknowledge your presence in our lives, your presence in the world. We don't always understand how things are unfolding or why, but you do, and we put our faith and trust in you and you alone. And so, Lord, as we come together as a body of believers here on, at, at Seacoast Community Church, we do so with a great deal of trust and faith in you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would intervene in the lives of individuals that we know and love, individuals like Art and Sharon, Sharon who just lost her dad, and Art who is dealing with the uh, side effects of COVID. And so, Lord, we ask for full healing for him, for spiritual healing for Sharon, and, and Lord, just intercede in a very real and, and personal way. Uh, Lord, we pray for Ina York and the Dominican Republic as she copes with the roller coaster ride of acquisition of property for a mission home uh, in an economic world where things are a little politically different, um, bureaucratically different, and yet, Lord, you have the wonderful ability to just slice through all of that bureaucracy and, and come to a point where clearly you will speak. And so, Lord, as we just sang, speak, O Lord, we ask you to speak to the people involved in the acquisition of a mission point in the Dominican. Lord, just uh, make it a, a clear path. And we just put our total trust in you, and may you speak very clearly. And, Lord, we also ask that as Eduardo comes to the podium, that he too would speak with power and conviction that the words that he says would not only be his, but also those that are imparted into his heart by the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we uh, just look forward to what he has to say, and we understand that um, Christ is supreme in all that goes on. God is in control. And even though we live in a broken and imperfect world, we, we know that you can heal all things. You are an all-powerful God, an all-knowledgeable God, a God that created the universe and created us in his image. And so, Lord, we, we come before you now to worship you, 
And may everything that we do and say bring glory to you, and may our lives during the week do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am glad to be back. Uh, last time I was here, I was uh, scrolling through my emails and the ones that Demi had sent me, and I was here five days before our little baby was born. So, like, now for the rest of my life, I can tell when I was here by her age. Like, oh, I was here 10 years ago, or whatever the case might be. But I, I am glad to be here this morning to worship with you, to, to proclaim the word. Uh, I just want to just quickly... My voice is a little shot, so if along the way uh, I, I cough a little bit, it's, we're, we're doing okay. But I, I'm here, and we're going we're gonna to press on. We just wanted to, to let you know that. Um, so I, I don't know about you guys, but, but for many, right, school started uh, last week. Many, many, they start next week. And uh, we've all been there that, that first week of school, right? It's sort of like the, the, the first week and the last week are like throwaway weeks. Like no one ever really does any learning. You know, but that first week is all about refreshing, right? Calling to mind all the things that you learned in the previous years, and sometimes you get quizzes and exams and other tests by some way, shape, or form to just see, like, where, where you're at, right? They're, start, they're trying to find a starting point, right? And, and today, while I won't give you an exam, though I can stand in the back after the sermon and ask you what you took out of it and, and make you list the four points and see how well you did. You didn't have to come in with your summer reading program. Uh, that, that You're okay uh, if you're like me. It never happened, right? Um, but what we're going to do today is we're going to rehearse. We're going to remind each other about the gospel truth. We're going to remind each other about the ABCs, if we want to call it, about the gospel principles that, that assure us of our faith. And, and I think this is right for us to do. I, I'm, I'm comforted whenever we stand in line with the teachings of the Apostle Paul. I think we're, we're doing okay when we do that. And one of the things that stands out to me is in Paul's letter to the Romans, to this church that is already established, that is set sure on its faith. Do you know why he wants to go there? Do you know why he's so eager to go there? Do you think it's to proclaim anything new? No, he, we're told in chapter 1, verse 12, he wants to go because he is eager to preach the gospel. The gospel to the brothers that he has, he just wants to preach that. Not anything new, but the gospel. And then listen to the words of the Apostle Peter. This is, this is his life mission as a pastor. He says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Peter says, as long as I am living, I'm going to remind you of the gospel. So for all of those here, maybe some of you guys here like, hey, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I know the gospel, like how I know how to leave this parking lot and get to my house with my eyes closed. I just want to tell you that the gospel is not something you graduate from. The gospel is not only a message for the unbeliever, and then once they become believers, they sort of go to like higher and more profound truths, like you start thinking about the Trinity or the hypostatic union or some deep theological truth. Now the gospel is for you and for me. No matter where we are in our walk with the Lord Jesus, we are to remind each other of the gospel. So to do that, this morning we're going to look at our passage. It's found in John chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 14. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. We read in verse 16 that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The sinful, rebellious, weak, and hostile world, we are told that God not only loved, but so loved. John actually tells us, he informs us, that the, the mission that Jesus was sent, the reason why he was sent, was out of the source of God's love. See, over the course of history, this, this love has been challenged. Uh, I, I'm a, I love history. Uh, I love church history. And one of, the, one of the ways that we've been shaped is by actually the heretics, those who stood against the orthodox teachings of Christianity. And in the second century, there was a guy named Marcion who stood against the church and said, the God of the Old Testament, he can't be the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is angry. He's mean. He's judgmental. He's vindictive. And the God of the New Testament, he's love. He's compassionate. He forgives. But we don't have to, we don't have to go to the second century to know this. We have the, our own sayings, Richard Dawkins, and the God delusion, the, and the atheist Richard Dawkins. This is what he says. He says that God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. So start off, he's, he's just, he's fiction. He's not even real, but he's the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. He says he's jealous and proud of it. Petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniac, Sodomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Yeah. You see, what the world sees is not a loving God, but an angry God. But I'm so glad that we have Scripture, the revealed demonstration of who God is written, and what we are told is that God so loved the world. That God loves you and he loves me. And, and this love was not displayed at, at the highest pinnacle of our faith and obedience. It wasn't like we were skipping along in our holiness and God says, I'm going to choose to love them. No, God so loved the world that he would give his son. And I just wonder, is that is that what we know and trust? Brothers and sisters, is that where we see the source of the gospel? If you were to reflect in your own life, is that why you came here this morning? Or did you come here this morning out of tradition? Maybe you came because your grandparents and your parents and your siblings and your neighbors, they all are Christians, so I might as well just try this thing. Or, or maybe you came here out of fear. I, I knew that when I was growing up, my mom took us to church. And the only reason why I would want to follow God is straight out of fear. I was like, I don't want to go to hell. But like, it wasn't like, I want to be with Jesus. It's like, I just don't want to be there, right? It wasn't out of the source of love. It wasn't because I saw God as so loving me. I, uh, I love what uh, 
Pastor Dane Ortland writes about God's love. He says, God didn't meet us halfway. He refused to hold back, cautious, assessing our worth. This is not his heart. He and his son took the initiative on terms of grace and grace alone in defiance of what we deserve when we, despite our smiles and civility, were running from God as fast as we could, building our own kingdoms and loving our own glory, lapping up the fraudulent pleasures of the world, repulsed by the beauty of God and shutting up our ears to his call. It was then, in the hollowed-out horror of that revolting existence, that the Prince of Heaven bade his adoring angels farewell. It was then that he put himself into the murderous hands of these very rebels in a divine strategy planned from eternity past to rinse, to clean the muddy sinners and hug them, and hug them into his own heart despite their squirmy attempts to get free and to scrub themselves clean. O church, the source of the gospel is God's love for you. Would you believe that? Would you trust that? So we talked about the source of the gospel. We turn now to see the grounds, the gospel's grounding. We read in in verse 14, as Moses, was lift, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Christ, Jesus, is the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world. This is This is the theology of John. You you start off with John in John chapter 1. Behold, behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He is the servant spoken of in Isaiah who was rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. It is Jesus, who was offered up for our guilt. Jesus was lifted up so high that those bitten by sin might be healed. Jesus was lifted up so that those poisoned by sinful nature might be made anew. You see, the gospel is grounded in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and Jesus alone. There's good news here, church. Jesus was sent to be lifted on high so that we would be pardoned of our sins. It's the cornerstone of our faith. It's what grounds our faith. And anything but that, run away from it. As Paul would tell the, the, the church, the Galatian church, anything but that, let it be accursed. Let it be accursed. There is no other gospel. English pastor J.C. Ryle says, the truth before us is the very foundation of the Christian religion. Do you hear that? The Christ lifted on high is the very foundation, the very pillar, the very ground of Christian religion. So we have Christ's atoning sacrifice in which we are declared righteous, no longer condemned. We are justified by his atoning death, standing as a grounds of the, of our, of the gospel. But alongside with that stands man's response, man's faith, their belief. Right? We twice read in our passage, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's found twice, in verse 15 and 16. And one time, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Belief and faith is vital. Christ has done the work, but the means, the way by which that work is channeled into our hearts is by 
faith is by believing in the character and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you were, actually, let's turn with me, if you have your scriptures. Sometimes, uh, sometimes gospel writers do this. Most of the times they don't. But John gives us a reason, the purpose to why which he wrote the gospel of John. Turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If someone were to ask you, like, why do we have the Gospel of John so that you may believe? And by believing, you may have life. The, the, the what or the who in which our faith is grounded in is not in any just ethereal precepts or truths. It's believing in Jesus. Our faith is grounded in a person. Our faith is grounded in God himself, not just in intellectual ascent of the truth, but in Jesus. Church, do, do you believe in Jesus? Friends, if you came here this morning, the invitation is that you may believe in Jesus. It's the whole purpose why we're looking at John chapter 3. No matter if you start in John 1 or John 20, it is written so that you may believe. So the gospel is grounded in the atoning work of Christ and in our faith and in our belief. But the gospel has great gifts. Remember, uh, I shared with you when I was little, the, 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 picture, the picture I had of God was that of, of Richard Dawkins. It was. When I was growing up, I was like, God, like, God is really angry at me because I don't do the things that he wants me to do. And he is just going to send me to this really bad place but as long as, like, I go to bed and I pray this, like, prayer, like, I'll be okay. Right? Like, so every night I'd be like, Lord, I know I did sins. You can forgive them. I'll be good. See you tomorrow. Right? Like, and just live my life. But, but I think that's the wrong way to look at the gospel. It's, it's the wrong way to look at any relationship. Like, think about just your earthly relationships. If whether you're in marriage, whether you have kids, whether you are walking alongside your parents in, 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 in the seizing of aging, you don't ever walk into the relationships for, for what you don't want. Right? Like, you don't, you don't enter marriage because you're like, I don't want to be lonely. So you enter marriage because you love your spouse. You don't enter it for the negative. You enter it for the positive of what it is. And Jesus gives us two great positives of our faith. The first one is forgiveness. Verse 18, whoever believes in the Son of God is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the Son, in the name of the only Son of God. In Christ, believers enjoy the gift of justification. Those, me and you, who stood condemned by faith in the Son of God no longer stand condemned. We are pardoned. We are forgiven. Oh, I, I, I hope you hear that. I hope you hear that and you rejoice in that truth because, church, I know there are many things that Edgardo needs to receive forgiveness for. The, the list that is long and arduous. We, can't, we don't have enough time today for me to list them all. But in Christ Jesus, we hear the declaration of forgiveness. The declaration that you are justified and pardoned. 
Now, we, we have to understand the importance of this. We, uh, John 3.16 is a really familiar passage for many of us. Uh, I'm sure if you watch sports, you know, uh, a lot of athletes have it on, they, they paint it on themselves or they put it on their shoes, right? It just becomes a, 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 a sort of, a, it's become like a rote sort of verse that everybody knows. But I wonder, I wonder if you know the last verse in John chapter 3. Look at what John chapter 3, look at how it ends. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. When you put that side by side in the forgiveness that is found in Christ Jesus, you know what that means? That the wrath that remained on you no longer remains. The wrath that ought to have fallen to sinners like you and me have fallen on Jesus Christ. That the condemned, you and me, are pardoned because Jesus himself took the condemnation. He became sin who knew no sin. Church. There is a great gift of forgiveness in Jesus. But I think we hear that. And it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for us to forgive ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to even receive forgiveness. So, so I just want to, I, I want to wash you. I want to wash you with the word. And I just want to read to you a couple of verses outside of John to remind us of the beauty and majesty found in the forgiveness of Christ. So just, just listen. Just listen to what God tells you about the forgiveness that he grants. Isaiah 53, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Your iniquities? You don't bear them. Jesus bears them. Romans, quoting the psalmist, says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. Your sins will not be counted, church. Romans chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west. It's really far, just to let you guys know. So far does he remove our transgression from us. Do you see what Psalm 103, you, you, did you pick it up? So great is his steadfast love. Remember we talked about the source, that well of the gospel? The love of God? Well here, the love of God removes the transgressions from us as far as east is from the west. Church, we are parted in Christ Jesus through faith. <laughs> if, we don't, if that doesn't bring in us a joy for who Christ is, I'm not sure what will. But he doesn't leave it there. There's still one more gift. That gift is of eternal life. Twice we are promised that whoever believes will be granted eternal life. We see that in verse 15 and in verse 16. Uh, D.A. Carson, who's a, a New Testament scholar, he says that if we were to translate eternal life in, in the most literal render, rendering, this is what it would say. We are promised life in the age, in the eon to come. Life in the age to come. I, I don't know, like, I, I've tried to ponder this. Like, I don't know, if you, if you take 10 minutes just to think about life in the age to come, like, that we will live in Christ for eternity, I, I, like, it just blows my mind. 
I can't even think about tomorrow. But in Christ Jesus, we are promised eternal life. Though we might die, though we might taste the bitter suffering of the physical death in this world, Christ promises that in Him, in the age to come, there is life for those who believe. Hmm. And it's not this what John teaches in John chapter 11. It's not this what Jesus tells Martha. Martha and Mary coming to Him, Lord, if You would have been here, if You would have been here, Lord, He wouldn't have died. What is, how does Jesus respond? Martha, your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know what that's called? It's called a paradox. <laughs> though he die, he shall live. Though he die, he shall live. And then how he and then Jesus ends it. He shall never die. Wait, Jesus, you just said, though he die, he shall live. And how can you close? He shall never die. You know why, church? Because believers in Christ Jesus are promised eternal life. We are promised life in the age to come. If we were to walk today, if we were to live like so many of our brothers who are living in the Middle East, who are gathering in small spaces not knowing what is going to happen with their life, do we trust this truth? That if, if our lives were to be taken away this morning, whether by illness, cancer, COVID, whatever it may be, a tragic accident or something heinous like murder, like we were killed, do we trust that though we die, we shall live? This is what strengthened so many in the early church. This is why Stephen, as he is getting stoned, can look up and you know what he cries out? Lord, forgive him. Because Stephen knows that his life in the age to come is assured in the death of Christ. So we are granted these great gifts. We're granted forgiveness, and we are granted eternal life. Uh, Augustine uh, so eloquently puts it about speaking about verse 14, where the Son of Man will be lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent to heal. This is what Augustine says. The serpent's bite is lethal, right? This, is, this, this serpent illustration comes from the book of Numbers when the, when the Israelites were rebellious and, and God sent serpents to bite them and to, they, they, they died, those who were bitten. But the source of salvation was that Moses would lift up a serpent, this bronze serpent, and all who would look up to the serpent would be healed and saved. So Augustine says, the serpent's bite is lethal. However, the Lord's death, Christ's death, is life-giving. Christ is gazed upon so that the serpent may lose its power. What does that mean? The death of Christ is gazed upon so that the death may lose its power. In the death of Christ, death died because life slew death. The fullness of life, Jesus, swallowed death. Death was devoured in the body of Christ. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? In Christ Jesus, there is eternal life. The last thing that we'll look about, that we'll look at, is the gospel's witness. The gospel's witness. We, we've seen that the gospel is sourced in the love of God. We've seen that it is grounded in both Christ's atoning sacrifice and in our faith. We've seen the gifts. And now we look at the gospel's witness. 
You see, because to merely ascend to truth and not live a life of change is to live in hypocrisy. Christians are changed by the gospel. Christians are changed by the gospel. We never live in a neutral state. We are either by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit being drawn and conformed into the image of Christ, or we are not, and we are walking in the flesh. But the gospel changes the Christian. So for us to see this change, John gives us a contrast. So let's finish our passage. Let's turn to John chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 19. John says, And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, the, you see the contrast? You see the two people? John tells us that there is a group of people who are not believers, and you know what they love? They love the darkness. And, and he doubles down. It's as if, like, if you missed it the first time, they love the darkness. Oh, you know what they hate? The light. It's an, it's an overarching principle. Those who don't believe in Christ Jesus love the darkness, and hate the light. This is what we see all throughout Scripture. We, in our unrepentant, unbelieving state, are hostile to God. Romans tells us we are enemies to God. Those who are not believers love the darkness and hate the light. But the inverse, conversely, it must be true, right? That all those who have placed their faith in Jesus, who believe, then must love the light and hate the darkness. Believers love the light and hate the darkness. And, and, and it's, it's as if we have like a bookend here. Because we started with God's love for his people. He so loved them. And it culminates with God's love so transforming his people that they would love him. God is in pursuit of your love. God is in pursuit of your heart. Do we love the light? Or do we love the darkness? And here light Light is actually personified. Again, I, I love the Gospel of John because, because everything is intertwined. Back in chapter 1, John already told us who the light is. The light is Jesus. So the question is, again, do we love Jesus? Now there's two ways that we can know if we love the light and hate the darkness. The first one is by our works. Does our life reveal that we love the light and hate the darkness? Look at John says, says a new commandment in chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, uh, this is Jesus speaking, John writing, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Really simply, church, do you love one another? Because if you do, it displays that you are children of the light. Oh, but maybe you're like, hey, like, guard, I think you're stretching it too much. Like, loving one another, like, it's so hard. You don't know the people here. You're just visiting. Right? Like, I, you know, I, 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 I attend a church. You know, I'm part, I'm part of the staff. I know that the hardest thing about ministry is people. Okay? 
because we are sinful and we're rebellious, but we love them because Christ loved us first. Okay? But you're like, oh, you're stretching it too much. Like, our love does not point to us being children of the light. Again, for John, his theology is so intertwined that he can't escape it. So he goes, we read in 1 John, he says, whoever says he is in the light, whoever says he is in the light, and hates his brother is still in the darkness. That's pretty clear, church. If you are proclaiming that you are in the light, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love the light, and hate your brother, John says you are still in the darkness. He goes on to say, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Your love for the body of Christ reveals whether you are abiding in the light, walking in the light, and loving the light. Anything short than that is our love for the darkness. Okay, so our works display it. But the most vivid way that we know we love the light is just in our affections for Christ himself. Jesus is the light. I uh, have one last quote. I think I was here, the last time I was here, uh, I was talking to a group of people. I'm sorry, I don't remember. I just told them I love the Puritans. The Puritans have like a special place in my heart because they, they wrote out of their heart. They wrote with affection. They were, they were lovers. <laughs> and this is what uh, Octavius Winslow says. Man, what a great name. If you're looking for your next name, Octavius Octavius Dave. <laughs> he says, other objects, objects of this world, other objects lose their attraction, their desire to interest, or their power to charm us by the lapse of years. But Jesus is that glorious object who grows more precious to the heart in time as his capacity unfolds of making us supremely happy. And in eternity, will become more increasingly the object of our love and the theme of our song and the source of our bliss as growing ages unveil his loveliness, his glory, his grace. Beloved, is Jesus increasingly precious to your soul? Each day's history, each day's trial, each day's sin, each day's need should endear the Savior to your heart because in each and all of those circumstances, you should have direct and close dealings, daily and personal transactions with Christ. You cannot cultivate an intimacy with Christ and not be enamored with his beauty, charmed, by his graciousness and absorbed with his love. O oh, church, the question for us as we witness to the gospel is that that Octavius gave us. Is Jesus precious to our souls? Do we love the light? Because when we do, church, the world will see it. The world will know that the gospel truths have transformed you and me. So may we grow, may we bask in the glorious and gracious and merciful truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was given out of love. And may our, may our love, may our joy, May the preciousness of Christ grow deep in our hearts, whether through sin, whether through struggle, whether through hard times, we would say we will witness 
to Christ himself. Would you pray with me, church? Father, I thank you. I thank you that these truths we cannot graduate from. Lord, I pray that that for each and every one of us, that we would be like Peter, that as long as we are in this body, that we would remind ourselves and one another of these glorious truths. That the gospel is sourced from the well of your love. You so love us. That the gospel is grounded in the atoning work of your Son, the Lamb of God, who bore our sin, whose blood cleanses us and pardons us. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would grow us in faith. Oh Lord, we are of little faith. But would you grant us more? Would we have an assurance and a conviction of who you are and what you've done, Lord? And Lord, may we experience and enjoy the gifts of forgiveness and eternal life in you that although we might die, whether it be today, tomorrow, next week, or 10 years from now, we would trust that we shall live. And Lord, may our lives be so transformed by the gospel so enamored, so enthralled, so compelled by your love that we would witness to a lost and dying world primarily because of our love for you and secondarily because of our love for your bride, for our brothers, for your flock, for your church. Lord, that people would see and witness the gospel truths changed in us because we love the light and hate the darkness. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you. Work that in me and in this church and in the body of believers. And Lord, would you call, would you call many, many who might be here today who don't believe, would you call them to believe so that they could experience your love and your gifts in your transformation. Jesus, we trust you for these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Lord, forgive us for our pride when our faith becomes a show. Dress in righteous deeds to hide all the stains below. We have judged your sons and daughters for the sin that is our own. And may we now forgive each other and lay down our souls. Let's sing, forgiven.
thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for loving us unconditionally to the point of giving your only son to die on the cross for our sins. God, I pray that we, as we look to you, Father, as we understand our forgiveness, as we understand the gospel, that we may look to you, Father, to be grounded in your word to be grounded in your love. Help us to believe, to understand, to see your love. And help us, Lord, to walk in the light and not in the darkness, Father. And overall, God, help us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Today's word for benediction is Ephesians 2. The word of God says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the greater love with which, we, which, we, uh, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved, church, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Church, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Church, God bless you. Love you guys. You're dismissed.